0: This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info, and now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal.
1: Hi, friend. I have been having a lot of fun interviewing such amazing people on my show. I hope you have been enjoying my podcast as well. If you haven't subscribed to my podcast yet, hit the subscribe button to get notified of the latest episodes. I have started the Decoding Obesity community on Facebook and I would love to have you there. You can head to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash Facebook to join or you can join from the form in the show notes on my website. I would love to have you in there to continue this conversation. I have another great guest on my show today. Jen Stevens is an author of the New York Times and USA Today bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, which actually I'm reading these days. This was published by St. Martin's Press, and she also wrote Delay Don't Deny Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle, which was also an Amazon number one bestseller in the weight loss category. So she has been living the intermittent fasting lifestyle since 2014. This lifestyle shift allowed her to lose over 80 pounds and launch her intermittent fasting website, Facebook support groups, four self published books, and three top ranked podcasts, intermittent fasting stories the Intermittent Fasting Podcast with her co-host Melanie Avalon, and the Life Lessons Podcast with co-host Sherry Bullock. Jin splits her time between Augusta, Georgia and Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where she lives with her husband and their four cats. Jin is also a mother to two adult sons, and she's thankful every day for the intermittent fasting lifestyle that makes her life easier. Welcome Jin, it's so great to have you on my show.
2: Well thank you so much, I'm really glad to be here.
1: Yeah, this is amazing. So, you know, tell us about your journey and this is one of the questions that I always ask my guests who come on to share their story. When did you realize that weight was an issue for you?
2: That's an interesting question because I grew up very weight focused. My mother was a dance teacher and so weight was always the topic of conversation. She never liked her thighs. I mean, <laughs> you know, always focused on how much she weighed, but I didn't think about it for myself. All throughout high school, I was lean, I was, you know, really like tiny, and never thought I would have a weight problem. But I understood that, you know, women were supposed to diet, but I still didn't have to do it until I went off to college and started putting on the freshman 15. You know how that goes. After my freshman year of college, that's when I went on my first diet. And it was calorie counting back then. It was in 1987. That's what we did. We counted calories. And I was able to lose weight. You know, I kept coming back to calorie counting here and there over the years is I would gain a little bit, lose that weight, gain a little bit more, lose that weight. But I always maintained in the normal range until I had kids. And it was the late 90s. And all of a sudden, you know, I finally got into the overweight category for the first time. And there's some more dieting. And then my yo-yos got higher over time, I would yo-yo up more and then come down, not as much and up more until fast forward to 2014. I really had given up, but after going on a family vacation, came home, looked at the photos, realized I didn't even recognize myself anymore, got on the scale, which I had been put away because I was like, i would given up. I put the scale away. I got it back down off the shelf, got on it, and I weighed 210 pounds. I was obese. So I said, all right, this is it. I've got to do something about it. And since that day, I started you know, my weight loss journey for the last time. And at first I was doing a crazy diet at the beginning, lost my first 20 pounds with that, decided I was going to do keto for a while, tried that, didn't lose any weight. But in August of 2014, I was like, you know, I'd heard of intermittent fasting. I dabbled in it from 2009 to 2014, but it never really stuck. I always knew it felt like something that I wanted to do long term, but I couldn't Wrap my mind around it as a lifestyle instead of a short term diet. But August of 2014, I committed to intermittent fasting and I haven't looked back. Went on to lose my first 75 pounds, which was my goal. Went on to lose at least another five. So I'm down at least 80. I don't weigh anymore. So I don't know what the number is now. But, you know, I've maintained my size in my weight range since 2015. And for the first time in my life, I've not yo-yoed up and down, up and down. I've just stayed within the range. My clothes still fit. And thank you, intermittent fasting.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting that you pointed out that you started Mm yo-yoing a little higher and then coming down not as much. What ends up happening is we don't really realize and the weight gradually creeps on. It's not going to be that you have it an X amount one day and you have a drastic difference the next day. It comes on so gradually you don't realize it till you're like really a different person than what you were, say, a few years ago. And that's when it hits. And especially when you look at, because you're looking at yourself every day in the mirror, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't really realize it till you look at your older photographs and you're like, wow, I right. was this and now I'm this. It's true. And when you get onto the scale. So so that's very interesting. But what do you think really caused this? What do you think caused you to get to your heaviest weight of 210 pounds?
2: I like to say I dieted my way up there. We know that if you do crazy restrictive diets, you can slow your metabolism over time. You know, we have a lot of research on that. You can also boost your metabolism. It's not permanent. You're not permanently damaging your metabolism, but you can. It does slow. You have that metabolic adaptation. But I had a whole period of time where I was taking doctor-prescribed diet pills. Phentermine, also known sure. as adipex. You know, I was getting them from a doctor. It must be healthy if your doctor gives it to you, right? <laughs> you can get those at so many weight loss clinics even now. But I think that really affected my body in a negative way. And so when I finally realized, this is back in 2005, I was like, you know, I'm done with these diet pills. They make me feel awful. This can't be good for my body. And then I gained 50 pounds in 18 months. You know, I really think I had slowed my metabolic rate with all those diet pills and the crazy dieting. And then that was it. It was just, I was I felt like I was stuck on that roller coaster and I would do a restrictive diet and then I would, you know, we know that our bodies rebel when we try to over-restrict long-term and they send us these eat, eat, eat signals. Right, Our hunger hormone gets ramped up because our body doesn't know we're trying to lose weight. Our body thinks we're like in a horrible famine or something, so we need right. to get food. So, you know, you really do have an increased appetite after you restrictively diet because it's your body trying to keep you alive. So, you know, I just kept struggling trying to fight against my hunger. You know, I was like, I can do this. I'm a smart person. I could just, you know, I've got the willpower. But then, you know, you just find yourself overeating because your body is telling you to do that. And you get caught in that vicious cycle and you feel like such a failure and like you're weak when really it's hard to fight your body. And I fought it for so many years. Then I gave up, and that's when I got to 210 pounds. But the beauty of intermittent fasting is you learn to listen to your body. You reconnect with your hunger and satiety signals. I like to think of it as like a factory reset, you know, back (laughs) to how, how you're supposed to be. So I can hear when I'm hungry, and I can hear when I've had enough. And so I'm not fighting my body. Fasting, intermittent fasting doesn't feel like fighting the battle anymore. It's just a very easy way to live.
1: Yeah, that's so cool. Why do you think your previous attempts failed? you st- started with keto. You tried mm-hmm. intermittent fasting before. So why do you think all of that failed at that point in time? And what was different this time when you succeeded? You know, back
2: then, the books that were out between 2009 and 2014, without fail, everything you read about intermittent fasting pretty much was like, well, you're just eating fewer calories. You know, there was no understanding of autophagy no understanding of, you know, the metabolic and hormonal changes that go on while your body is fasting. I mean, maybe there were some people that understood it, but they had not written any books that were out there that I could find. And so it just seemed like a way to cut your calories and eat in a smaller eating window. Of course, now we know so much more than that. We know that a lot is going on behind the scenes that makes intermittent fasting different. But a typical Diet where you're eating low calorie amounts of food all day long, you're having to really force yourself. You're fighting against your body the whole time. But now we know that when you fast clean, which I can talk about in a minute, when you're fasting clean, your body is finally able to tap into your fat stores for fuel. It's like you're unlocking your fat stores for the first time efficiently. And once you get to that point where you're metabolically flexible, you're adapted, you're tapping into your fat stores, it becomes so easy. The problem is from 2009 to 2014, first of all, I didn't understand the clean fast because if you're just, you know, think it's all about cutting calories, then what does a diet soda matter? What does it matter if you're having a low calorie latte? That's still good enough. That's fasting. Well, no, it isn't. But now I understand that it makes fasting harder. And so I was always, you know, making those choices that didn't serve my body well during the fast. So fasting was really, really hard and I was white knuckling it the whole time. So anybody who's tried intermittent fasting and white knuckled it the whole time, probably the clean fast would make the difference for them because it makes it so much easier. But also, the process of becoming metabolically flexible, you have to get through a period of time that's uncomfortable. Once you reach metabolic flexibility, however, that's where the magic is. And if you're starting, stopping, starting, stopping, you never get there. So I was basically trapped in the adaptation phase. I never got to the part where fasting was easy and painless and felt good because of the things I was choosing to consume while I was fasting, and also the on and off again approach that I would take. So it was destined to fail for me, until I really got to the point where I was like, all right, I've got to do something different, you know, that wake up call for me. And then, you know, I white knuckled it through until it became a lifestyle.
1: Yeah, because it has to be a lifestyle change. You're absolutely right. It became a lifestyle for you. And that's what I impress upon people also that, Whatever you do, no matter whether it's ketogenic, whether it's whole food, plant-based, whether it's intermittent fasting, whatever works for you, it has to be tailored to your lifestyle, it has to mm-hmm. fit into your lifestyle. So it has to be a healthy change that you make, which should fit into your lifestyle, it becomes a part of your lifestyle. Exactly. It cannot be a short-term approach. It cannot be a short-term quick fix for anything. And medicines have their place, of course. I have a physician, so I'm a strong proponent of medicines if you need it. Right. But I think the thing is that the bedrock of this all is a lifestyle change which has to be made before we can, you know, even think about medicines because people do sometimes require medicines or even surgery, and that's absolutely fine, but they do not replace the healthier lifestyle choices that we need to make.
2: Exactly. And, you know, I felt so terrible taking those medications. And that was me listening to my body finally saying, this can't be good because of how bad I feel.
1: Right. And it's about listening to your body. Absolutely. And that's what it is. For example, the ketogenic diet did not work for you. Right. And that's about listening to your body and understanding what your body needs and what you think will work for your body because you have to live with it. it, it you have to enjoy it. It shouldn't be that like you're living with it and struggling every day because it's not going to be sustainable.
2: You know, and I was such a voracious reader always about diets and all the books made them sound just so scientific and that's what's going to work. And I was sold on keto and low carb because the science makes so much sense. This is going to work. You know, The science is there. But yet, every time I tried it all the years back, I never lost any weight. I would lose right. the initial rush of, you know, when you're depleting your glycogen stores. The water weight. The water weight. I always lost the initial four to eight pounds and then never another pound. And then I would quit. And then all those four to eight came right back. So I was right. never, I never lost fat doing a, a ketogenic or low carb approach. Well, now I understand more of that. Have you ever um, read anything that Tim Spector doing, Dr. Tim Spector? He's part of the British Gut Project. He's written some books. He's doing some great work on personalized nutrition. Oh,
1: the PREDICT-1 trial?
2: Yes, he's the PREDICT guy. Yeah, and there's a
1: PREDICT-2 trial coming out. Actually, it's interesting that you mentioned that my previous episode is on personalized nutrition. Was it?
2: That's my passion.
1: (laughs) So I've talked about quite a few studies there, which are very interesting, Mm -hmm. that talked about it. And yeah, so it's interesting, even with the personalized nutrition, there's an interaction not just between the genes and what type of food that you eat. There might also be an interaction between your microbiome and, what, and the 100%. That have, yeah.
2: That's what they're finding. I actually took part in Predict 3 oh, and so wore cool. a CGM for a couple weeks, tracked my food, and there's a blood test component where they check, you know, they give you these challenge meals where they check to see how your body responds to clearing glucose and also clearing fat. And to no surprise of my own, I found my body does not clear fat well. And so... Based on those results, if I eat too much fat in a period of time, it's inflammatory for my body. And no surprise, when I would try to do a ketogenic diet, I felt like I was inflamed the whole time. And now I understand why my body doesn't manage fat as well, doesn't clear it well. So a high-fat diet is not right for me. Right. But there are people... A bunch of people that I know have gone through the same predictory study and gotten their results. They clear fat beautifully. <laughs> they don't have to be as careful as me. So your friend who does great on the ketogenic diet is probably someone whose body clears fat quickly. My body does not. And so it's fascinating to see how we're really all different. We really, really are all different.
1: Yeah, that's true. But what was it about intermittent fasting that really made you stick to it?
2: Well, I was just so diet weary. I tried all the ways of eating that promised you, you know, keto, low carb, plant-based, eat clean, eat dirty, whatever, you know. <laughs> I tried every diet that came around. If it came out prior to 2014, I did it. And I was tired of eating different foods from my family. And, you know, I'm on this crazy diet and they're eating this other thing, but I want to eat what they're eating. But instead, today I'm eating right for my blood type. So I'm only eating things you know, that are on this right. list. And I just wanted to eat the foods I wanted to eat. And so with intermittent fasting, that's what I did. I had been doing keto, like I said. I'd actually did low-carb keto for the entire summer of 2014, didn't drop a wow. single pound. <laughs> In August, when I switched to intermittent fasting, I also added back carbs and, you know had that daily eating window, finally started losing at the rate of about a pound a week, even you know, with reintroducing the carbs, and it felt like a miracle after being stuck. And then if I was eating the things I wanted to eat. And back then, I really, I have to admit, I was eating an ultra-processed diet. I was eating probably like a teenage boy at at (laughs) camp. (laughs) And it's not what I would recommend for ideal health. My diet is a complete 180 now because intermittent fasting has taught me to listen to my body. As I've learned more about nutrition and read more, I've realized, huh, I feel so much better when I eat better for my body <laughs>
1: yeah so how did you discover the clean fast because you were fasting dirty earlier right so you right. talked about the clean fasting that is basically either a water fast or not not even a water fast like not even drinking water during your fasting so how did you discover that
2: well for with the clean fast i stick to you know, plain water sparkling water unflavored black coffee plain tea that's the clean fast and really what opened my eyes was reading The Obesity Code by Dr. Jason Fung. You know, he's talking in The Obesity Code about insulin. And no one in intermittent fasting had been talking about insulin. It was always about, drink your diet soda if you want, it's zero calorie, it's fine. You can put fruit in your water and that's not a problem. It's low calorie, it's zero calorie, it's fine. And so suddenly, Jason Fung was talking about an insulin response, the cephalic phase insulin response to sweeteners, And he had a section there like I was living on coffee with vanilla, cream, stevia and cinnamon. I drank that all day long during my fast. Well, I had lost 75 pounds when I read the obesity code, but I had been plagued by eight pounds of stubborn weight regain and my weight was suddenly going up little by little, even with intermittent fasting. And so I read the obesity code when he talked in the section about how stevia caused more of an insulin response than sugar. I'm like, well, what am I doing here? We're having this right. all the time. This is, you know, you don't want to have, you know, we know, we know that high insulin levels, you know, insulin is anti-lipolytic, meaning it keeps you from tapping into your fat stores efficiently. It keeps the fat kind of locked away. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to have to stop having this stevia. So At first, I was like, I'm just going to give up coffee completely. I can't do the black coffee. And I tried that. And then I was like, well, I really miss coffee. So it's like, I'm going to do the black coffee. So after reading the obesity code, I made the switch to black coffee. And it was a miracle. Number one, the fast became easy. I no longer had to white knuckle it. Because even before that, I was doing it because, by golly, I was going to keep this weight off. And, of course, I wasn't. I was slowly regaining. But... It was still hard. I was still white-knuckling it through the fast and watching the clock. But once I took all that stuff out of my coffee, I stopped drinking flavored waters. I stopped drinking diet sodas. I stopped putting the stevia in. I stopped all that stuff that had food flavors. Suddenly, I was no longer watching the clock. Fasting became easy. I re-lost those eight pounds. I went on to lose some more. And so, you know, as I understood why all those things made the fast harder... I wouldn't want to add them back.
1: Yeah, that's important to understand. I, mm-hmm. I think clean fast works wonders. It does. Especially when you're adding the sweetness and whatever. It's kind of like having an appetizer which kind of readies your it stomach does. for the next meal. So I guess it's better to just be doing a clean fast.
2: You don't want your body to think food is coming in. Right. And some people wonder, you know, because I talk about not having flavors, you know, during the fast. You have your water, your plain sparkling water. Don't add anything into it. But we do have the black coffee and the plain tea. So people are like, aha, but coffee and tea have a flavor. The difference is those have a bitter flavor profile. Right. And the bitter flavor profile does not, your brain doesn't taste that and think, oh, we're going to need insulin because, you know, sweet things in nature are honey, fruit, things like that. And so our body knows that if you're having something sweet, you're about to get a hit of glucose, but the bitter flavor profiles that's not associated in the same way in your brain.
1: Yeah. And you know, the other thing was uh, that at least when I was fasting, I would add a little bit of salt to water, just heat up the water and add salt. That really was very, very satisfying. Mm -hmm. Minerals don't break the fast. You're right. Salt is okay. And sometimes people add salt to their coffee. (laughs) I I tried
2: it. I'm like, you people are crazy, but people (laughs) love it. You're not crazy people. If you like it, you like it. (laughs) But I I did not. (laughs) But you know, they say it cuts the bitterness. They put a little, Couple sprinkles in the grounds when you're brewing it, but uh-uh, no, yeah. I don't want any salty <laughs> coffee,
1: thank you. <laughs> so, what regimen do you follow now, and how did it change, and how did you evolve your regimen?
2: Well, you know, I've really tried every type of fasting that you could try. I've done the alternate daily fasting approaches, and you know, right after I read the Obesity Code, you know, because he doesn't really talk a lot about time restricted eating or daily eating windows. He, I think, he might mention it, but then at the end, he's got an appendix where he's got okay, here's what you do. <laughs> And they're alternate daily fasting protocols where you're doing like a 36 to 42-hour fast and then you're eating two to three meals on the day following the fast. That's the alternate daily fasting approach or ADF. So I started doing that after reading obesity code. And remember, I had eight pounds I needed to lose that I had regained. And I did that for a couple months. And it wasn't really the approach that felt right to me. So I switched back to the daily eating window approach. And at that time, I was sticking to a five-hour eating window. And I haven't stopped the daily eating window approach since. So this was 2016 when the obesity code came out. So ever since probably June of 2016, I have eaten every day. There has not been a day where I did a complete fast and went to bed without eating. So I like to eat every day. That works best for me. How long is my eating window? Well, that varies. In my maintenance range, I'm not trying to lose weight. I'm just happy where I am. So I really listen to my body. Some days I might have two meals. A lot of days, most days I just have one actual meal, but I'll open my window with a snack. Like yesterday, I opened my window probably around, let me think, maybe 2.30 in the afternoon. I had a snack. It was like a harvest bowl. It was like a lentil base and lots of veggies in there. And I had that. And then I had actual dinner at about 6.30. And then... I had a piece of raisin toast to close my window. I just felt I needed a little something sweet. Raisin toast fit the bill. I had some and it was delicious. So I had probably a five-hour window yesterday. But, you know, no two days are the same. And I just really, if I'm still hungry, I eat. If I've had enough, I stop.
1: So you just listen to your body and go according to that. I do. I do. But I think it's important for people to start somewhere because once your body gets used to the fasting, I think it gets easier for you to tweak it. At least that's what I found because mm-hmm. even when i was fasting no two days were the same right i started with a specific goal in mind that i'm going to i started with 16:8 i think usually people start with that mm-hmm. you can extend it further if you want but again it's going to depend on how you feel within your body some days you'll be really hungry and you'll just right. be like i i cannot fast today and that's especially during funny.
2: the adjustment period because yeah. you're not well fueled that's the key you're not tapping into your fat stores on day 1 efficiently because you really do have to teach your body to be metabolically flexible. Because right. if you've been eating you know, the standard way with breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, your body, I don't want to say it's gotten lazy, but it's gotten lazy. <laughs> it's not <laughs> used to you know, having to do that extra work. It wants to run on glucose. You've trained it to run on glucose and you right. keep putting it in. And it takes time to adjust. In my book, Fast Feast Repeat, that came out June of 2020, I have something in there called the 28-day fast start. And in the 28-day fast start, your one goal is to nail the clean fast and let your body adapt. And so you can choose. There are three different plans you can choose from about, you know, rip off the Band-Aid. You're somebody who wants to jump right in and really go for it. Or you're someone who wants a more slow and steady approach. Or maybe you're somewhere in the middle. But you get to decide how you want to adjust to intermittent fasting and you can go back and forth. You're like, oh, I was too ambitious. I'm going to dial it back a little bit because you want to get in the habit first and let your body learn how to do it.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. We just talked about adjusting your body to the fasting period and how long you're going to fast. The other thing I think you need to adjust in your mind is what you eat when you're Mm -hmm. eating, right? Because when you start fasting initially, you're like, you want to reward yourself at the end of the fast and you just want to get whatever you see in front of you into your mouth. It's true. So, you know, it's important to understand what you're going to put into your mouth. How did you change what you eat now from what you used to eat then? I know you talk about fast-worthy meal. Right. So let's talk about that a bit.
2: Well, first, let me talk about what I would tell someone who's just starting out new. If you're starting out new, you're going to start the 28-day fast start, or you're ready to start intermittent fasting, I want you to only change one thing and that is just the fast at first. I don't want you to change what you've been eating yet. Now that goes both ways. Let's say you've been eating clean and now you wanna start intermittent fasting. I don't want you to suddenly reincorporate all the foods that were forbidden and do fasting at the same time. Let's say you've been doing keto and you wanna start intermittent fasting. Don't bring back all the carbs like I did (laughs) and start intermittent fasting. I want you to change one thing only and that is the fasting. Then after your body's adjusted to fasting is the time to start thinking about, you know, if you had been excluding a lot of foods, slowly bring things in that you'd like to try. Or if you've been eating, you know, the standard American diet, now you can start tweaking for food quality. But if you try to change everything at once, you're destined to fail. Like if you've been eating the standard American diet and you decide you're going to start intermittent fasting and 100% clean up your diet at the same time, that's a lot. So just nail the fast first, then tweak what you're eating. For me, the the tweaking what I was eating happened in twenty seventeen really. I'd started to, you know, gravitate towards some better food choices naturally. But in twenty seventeen, you know, I was a teacher and I was home for the summer break and you know, I ran these Facebook groups and we had a lot of diet wars in the Facebook group <laughs> where people would be like, Everyone must be low carb or keto or why are you even doing intermittent fasting? You're wasting your time. Then there'd be other people that are like, No, you must be plant based. If you're not plant based, you're wasting your time. And so I was like, what does the science really tell us? So, you know, I have a doctorate in gifted education. I love to research and learn things. I was like, I am going to dig into PubMed, and I'm going to read everything (laughs) I can find, and I'm going to figure out what we should be eating. Surely, we know. It's got to be there. We know things. It's, you know, back then it was 2017. We're smart. So I started digging in, and that is what first led me to the idea of personalized nutrition. And... I ran across um, Dr. Aaron Segal's TED Talk. Have you seen his TED Talk?
1: No, I haven't. Oh, you got
2: to look it up. Dr. Aaron Seagal. E-R-A-N Segal. He actually wrote a book on personalized nutrition since then. But he's a researcher out of Israel, I believe. And it was the first time I had really heard that we are different. Like they were doing the glucose monitoring. They were noticing that some people had... A totally different blood glucose response to say white bread. One person it would spike their blood glucose. Other someone else it was not. It would be just easy. And I'm like, you know, because we have all been taught about the glycemic index as some universal thing, right? And that's not how our bodies work at all. And so really, and then I realized the glycemic index, which is so funny, the way they figured it out is they took like ten people, tested them with the food, measured their response, and then found the average. That would be like if we had a height index, and we took everybody's average and said your height is five six because that's the average. Well, how many people are exactly five six? You know, people are taller, they're shorter. Yeah. But the glycemic index is the same thing. We don't all have the same glycemic response to food? It's widely variable, and Absolutely. it depends on our gut microbiome. Yes, our genetics. Although gut microbiome, you know, Dr. Tim Spector and his group—they're finding the gut is more of a player right. than really anything else. Yeah, but then, true. you know, I got interested in figuring out what foods work best for our individual bodies. And that really, you know, I read about the blue zones. I learned about, you know, longevity. And really, it fascinated me to think about foods that work for me may not be the foods that work for you. And I really can listen to my body and see how I respond. And I don't have to read a diet book where someone else tells me what to eat. Because the if I wrote a diet book based on what works well for my body... I could be like, this is it. This is the secret. But that would only be the secret for me. (laughs) Right. That's true.
1: I think it's important to listen to your body. And it's important to understand that even if you're fasting, that's not going to be the be all end all unless you have a healthy diet. Now, a healthy diet can be anything. It does not necessarily have to be one specific diet plan. Right. As long as you're eating whole real foods. That's true. That's healthy. So that necessarily has to be incorporated into your fasting regimen when you're breaking your fast.
2: I agree with that. And the more I've researched, you know, I'm working on a new book now. And even in Fast Feast Repeat, I talked about ultra processed foods. That's the new terminology that they're using. Ultra processed foods are the foods we really want to avoid because they don't serve anybody well and you know there's not one single study out there on ultra processed foods finding benefits of these ultra processed right. franken foods <laughs> so whether you do better with carbs or fat i'm not talking about you know mcdonald's french fries those are ultra processed foods in they are carbs and fats, but they're ultra processed. They're not good for any of us.
1: <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but does that
2: mean no one should eat potatoes? Absolutely not. A potato is a whole food. Some people do very well with potatoes. You may have genetic background where your family had the genetic mutation that occurred during the agricultural revolution, and so your body's great at digesting starches, but yes. you may not. And so that's where the individuality comes in you know, potatoes are a great food for my body, but they may not be a great food for everybody, but it's a real food.
1: No, that's true. Jen, I have a question regarding, you know, these food cravings, because obviously when you start out fasting, it's a little difficult. It's different Mm -hmm. because you're not used to being hungry for a while. And when you're about to break the fast, you're going to have all these weird food cravings. How did you manage those? How did you tackle those?
2: Well, the thing to keep in mind, it goes back to the adjustment phase again. You know, when you're first starting off, your body is not well fueled during the fast because you're not tapping into your fat stores effectively. So when you're new to intermittent fasting, you open your window, you may really overeat because your body was starving all day. It wasn't well fueled at all. And so now you're just trying to get those calories in, you're reaching for those, you know, high fat, high carb, because your body knows that's where the fuel is found. But once you get across the hump and you're metabolically adapted fasting becomes easier your body's kind of like okay now we're well fueled during the fast you feel good you start to have great energy and then you stop with that needing the the whole feel, needing to binge kind of a thing that does go away as you adjust but you know I, I don't want people to beat themselves up at the beginning for what is a very normal part of the process cuz that does get better as you become you know well fueled during the fast from your fat stores because that's why we're, they're there, after yeah. all. And so, you know, your body will eventually start to direct you towards nutritious foods. Because I firmly believe our bodies don't count calories. Our bodies count nutrients. Yeah. And so once you start learning to listen, we know when we need certain things. You know, pregnant women are great at this. You know, you may start. I remember there was a, a period of time with my first pregnancy when I was craving spinach, I don't know why, whatever that baby was growing, but I was craving spinach. Like, like I could not get enough spinach. I was eating creamed spinach for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh my God. Yeah. I just wanted it. There was some new nutrient going on that my body was craving me to eat. You know, pregnant women sometimes, or other people may start having the craving to eat clay or some nonsense like that, because there's a nutritional deficiency that they've got in their body sends them that craving so our bodies really can you know tell us what to eat if we listen you know animals in the wild they go find a salt lick if they're salt deficient lick the salt if we really take the time to listen our bodies start asking for brussels sprouts and (laughs) carrots and stuff
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's interesting It must have been a difficult time for you to kind of adjust to your family's eating schedule and not eating when they're eating. And how did you do that? How did you manage that? Well,
2: you know, back at that time, I was working. I was a teacher. And it actually was easy because I was teaching all day. And I just got to the point where I didn't eat at work. Then I would come home and open my window. And it really wasn't hard at all. And I got to, you know, enjoy the evening meal with my family. So, you know, at first, there was some oh, I can't eat lunch on Saturday and everybody's eating. You know, there was a little bit of that. But when I started to really understand the mindset shift for me was once I understood the health benefits of fasting. And this wasn't until, you know, really 2016, the Nobel Prize in Medicine was awarded to a researcher who was studying autophagy, which is our body's self-cleaning mechanism. And this is actually ramped up when we're fasting, among other things. Once we realize the fast is more than just a low calorie part of the day, it's actually where the the healing benefits occur. It's where our bodies can do the maintenance and repair that that needs to go on that you can't have happening if you're constantly shoving in food like I used to do. You appreciate the fast for what it is and you no longer think, oh, I got to get through this fast and then I can eat. Now you're like, well, I'm fasting right now and my body's doing some important stuff. Just like when you sleep at night. You know, sleeping is restorative and powerful, and you must get enough sleep. We also need to build in that restorative time where we're not constantly, you know, eating from the minute we wake up to the minute we go to bed. Our bodies need time to rest and recover.
1: Yeah, that's true. Did your fasting change, your routine for fasting change from your weight loss phase to your weight maintenance phase? Were you doing like longer fasts before, and did it become a little shorter or... Well, you know, I
2: started off with the five-hour window is like pretty much that was my, you know, ideal. I'm going to, because I read Dr. Burt Herring's book, Fast Five, it was called The Fast Five Diet. And I can't remember the the rest of it, but it had diet in there. And of course, that adds to the whole idea of your dieting because diet was right there. And that seems like something you do temporarily. But the five-hour window is really how I got my start, thanks to Dr. Herring's work with nineteen five. And five-hour eating window worked well for me. And then, you know, as I got to my goal in maintenance, some days I need more food, and so I'll have a longer window. And if you get back to listening to your body and knowing your hunger and satiety signals, some days you need more food, and you need more food to maintain than you had while you were losing. So, you know, it's okay to eat well and be satisfied because, you know, that feels good for a reason. Yeah. So definitely. I just really, it just kind of evolved to, Listening to my body, and then weight maintenance is not a challenge.
1: Yeah, that's animals in
2: the wild that are not fed by humans do not have weight struggles, and they don't count (laughs) calories. That's true. (laughs) 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 They don't count calories. They manage to stay at their ideal weight. They eat when the food is there, and then they stop eating. And you know,
1: do you exercise, Jen?
2: Well, I move my body. (laughs) I'm strong. But I don't do a formal, you know, I don't go to the gym. I have a vibration plate, which I love. I love my vibration plate. And really, you know, like last week I was at the beach working on a property that we have there. And I took a bunk bed apart by myself. I can lift heavy things. But thank you, intermittent fasting, because it boosts your human growth hormone levels, which (laughs) is great. You know, I'm 51. I'm going to turn 52 this year. And, you know, I'm strong. I'm healthy. And I can do what I want to do. You know, I went this... Over the Christmas break, my son and his wife were here visiting and we went to a national park and we hiked several miles and I was in the fasted state. My body can just do what I ask it
1: to do. That's so cool. So I'm
2: active, but I'm not an exerciser. I mean, sure. you know, think about it though. Exercise also is a modern invention. People just lived their lives.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Before No, I mean, it's important to understand that even being physically active, I mean, fasting is not an impediment to being physically active. Oh, definitely not.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, I was able to walk all those miles in the fasted state. You know, I can lift heavy boxes in the fasted state. Again, wait till your body adjusts. You don't want to do it during the adjustment phase. I mean, you can do it during the adjustment phase, but it's going to be harder. You might feel like you're trapped in jello or something.
1: Right. So what advice would you give to people who are now contemplating starting the fasting, the whole fasting protocol? Which protocol should they choose? How should they do it? Because I know people are going to have like 10,000 questions and a lot of people go into analysis paralysis because they want to find the perfect thing that's going to work for them.
2: Well, I want them to get fast, feast, repeat. And it's not just because I want to sell them a book. If you have Audible, you can listen to it for free. You can check it out from the library. Get your own copy though. You're going to want your own copy because it's something for you to come back to. Like I have a whole frequently asked questions in there because I ran all these Facebook groups for all these years. So I know the questions people have. They're all in in the back of the book. But get Fast Feast Repeat and you have my permission to turn right to the 28-day Fast Start chapter to know how to get started. Make sure you understand the clean fast. That's the non-negotiable. Fast clean make sure you're doing that. There's a couple chapters that explain why it's so important and also how to make sure you're fasting clean. And then my approach is a little different than every other approach out there. First of all, because of the clean fast, because most people are like, well, you can have a little cream, you can have a little bulletproof coffee, you know, whatever. No, you don't want to have any of that. I promise you the science is there. And I'll explain it to you in fast, feast, repeat, fast, clean. I promise it matters. Even if you think it doesn't, take the clean fast challenge and do it. You will not be sorry. But my goal is to empower you, the reader, the listener, someone starting intermittent fasting, to be in charge. I'm not telling you exactly what you have to do. I'm not telling you what to eat. I'm not telling you when to eat it. I'm not going to tell you when, quote, the best eating window is. You figure that out and that's where you learn how to tweak it till it's easy. That's that's one of the chapters, tweak it till it's easy. We have a chapter called the, you know, your intermittent fasting toolbox because you get to develop your own plan here based on how you feel. I have a good friend. She feels better with a breakfast eating window. She wakes up. She has her breakfast. She drinks her creamy coffee because she's not fasting. Her window's open. She eats for the day then she closes that window maybe around 10 or 11 and she's done for the day that's it she doesn't eat again after 10 or 11 in the morning that window does not work for me right but that is her ideal window if she tried to eat like me she wouldn't feel her best my ideal eating window is later in the day i actually tried to have it a little earlier recently i did a little experiment didn't work for me at first i was like this is great i'm eating a little earlier and no (laughs) (laughs) I went right back, you know, this is the window that feels best for me. And so someone could literally follow me around all day and do exactly what I do. And it's not the right thing for them. So my goal is to empower everyone to find what feels right to them. And you'll know, you'll know what feels good. Not at first as you're adjusting, that's not going to feel the best. But once you are adjusted, and you find what feels right to you, it's not a struggle. You don't have to fight your body. Suddenly, you're working with your body as a team, and that's where the magic is.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's very well said. Well, my friend, you're not alone in your weight loss journey. Join the Decoding Obesity community to find others on the same path and get the support you need. So head on over to www.decodingobesity.com forward slash Facebook to sign up. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, Jin, for joining me and sharing your story and your journey. This was amazing.
2: Well, thank you. I was
0: glad to be here.
1: Thank you, everyone, for listening in, and I'll see you all next time.
0: You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.